Hey guys, welcome back to the Ephesians Curriculum Podcast. I'm here with Landon. What's up, Rachel? How's everybody doing? So good. And we are here to talk about, what is this, week six? Yeah. So we are in the second half of the curriculum for this semester. Where has the semester gone? I know. Crazy. Spring break break is coming up. I know all about that. Austin, Texas. Can't wait. (laughs) I'm sure all the trips are going to be so good. Um, But we are here to talk about what is this Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. It worked perfectly. We're right in the middle of the scripture, right in the middle of the semester. Perfect. So Landon, what did we talk about last week? Yeah, so our friend Allie helped us work through Ephesians 3. Um, We hit on some stuff. I was actually hosting that podcast, talked a little bit about um, the mystery of God. We talked about what it looks like to be reverent and how Paul models that. Uh, And we see another prayer from Paul for the people of the Ephesians. And as I was prepping even for Ephesians 4, I think I love this prayer for the Ephesians at the end of Ephesians 3. Um, where he just has this prayer that they would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ uh, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think a lot of what we're going to get into this week and for the rest of the semester is a lot of like practical application stuff because we kind of see this divide between Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 6, which I'll get into here in a second. Um, But I loved that, that like we have to be grounded in love uh, and know the Father and know his love um, before we can even get into any of um, what Ephesians 4 has. Yeah, so then we go into this week, and this week I think is a really central passage, and I love that it's in the middle. It's literally like centrally located in Ephesians because yeah. we've hit on it a couple times before, and we're going to hit on it a couple times after this week. The theme is... Unity. Yeah. And yeah, we've hit this you know multiple weeks in a row, I think, that... Um, you've probably heard this word come up in your group discussions um, because it's kind of been teased out in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, and it feels like we've kind of been building to this point um, of just God's vision for uh, unity amongst his people. Uh, and so we start to see that in Ephesians 4, um, right from the, the start, um, where you know Paul invites us in verse 2, he says, um, to bear with one another in love, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, and then kind of goes on to um, tell us what that looks like, what that looks like for us individually, um, and even just why it's important that we, as God's people, would be unified. Yeah. So I think you guys know that Landon's a pretty big sports guy. Mm -hmm. He really likes to bring this into the analogy of sports, offense, defense. So you gave a pretty good paradigm to me earlier of like breaking this passage down into three sections it was pretty reminiscent of March Madness is coming about. There you go. You know, so how to give us that. There you go. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool how, you know, like we write this stuff, you know, back at the beginning of the semester and then get this cool opportunity in the middle uh, of the semester to kind of hop back in and be like, oh, yeah, what did I write about Ephesians for? Um, <laughs> but I think it's good because you kind of come back to it with fresh eyes. And, you know, if you've read scripture at all before and have read, you know, multiple scriptures or the same scripture multiple times, um, just different things kind of rise to the surface. And so, um, you know, as I was looking over my notes, um, thinking about what would be helpful to say on the podcast, um, it just kind of, I think Ephesians 4 was broken, this first section of Ephesians 4 was broken down into really kind of three parts. Um, So we see in verses 1 through 6, this kind of calling for unity, um, that we would be a people, you know, of 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, um, one God over all. Um, I think that kind of alludes to unity as offense. Uh, and what I mean by that is like even just the evangelistic quality that unity can have yeah. of, man, we really look like a, a unified body of believers. That doesn't mean we agree on everything, which we'll get into. Yes. Um, but it does mean that we are offering a different way um, to people. And I think that, um, you know, I, I wrote in the leader's guide, I said that, um, you know, unless you've been living under a rock the last five years, um, you understand that Paul's invitation to unity in verses one through six is something that's radical, something that's countercultural, uh, and something that honestly, like if the church were to live out fully, if we were to fully be um, a unified body, that the rest of the world would take notice um, and that it would really um, spread the gospel and I think catch people's attention and be like, wait, um, there's real power to the gospel to um, unify people who um, may not be, you know, who may be different, but can unify under, you know, hey, Jesus is, is Lord. Um, so that was the first part of kind of unity as offense. Um, and then in 14 through 16, we see unity as defense, which I think is um, just talking, talking about why even unity is important for us to like defend our faith. Um, and, you know, Paul says that uh, if we're unified, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves uh, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And I think that's just, um, you know, we see this. We know that um, culture is wanting to form us in a way counter to um, who God's created us to be, who God would have us to be. And um, so by being unified together, um, we actually create kind of a, um, you know, just a shield of defense to say, okay, I can I can hold this because I know um, that I'm unified with fellow believers. Uh, I know what the truth is. I know God's love. We were talking about from the Ephesians 3 prayer. Um, so I know that I don't have to uh, follow the ways of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sandwiched in between, we kind of have this, um, you know, Paul puts the word but at the begin of, beginning of verse 7, um, where he's talked about unity in these first six verses, and then he says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, and then he kind of gets into this idea of like what our individual roles look like um, within this unified body. And that's where some of the, you know, unity, not uniformity stuff comes in where it's like, just because we're unified doesn't mean we're all the same. And he kind of addresses a little bit um, of what our individual roles look like within the unif- a unified body um, of believers. So I don't know which one of those you want to dive into deeper first, but that's kind of um, kind of the overview and maybe just some helpful ways to um, even break down the passage for different discussion topics um, as we go into this week. Yeah, Lena, you just said so many great things. Yeah, my mouth is getting so, kind of dry because I said so, <laughs> so many things. So many great things. So as he was writing, I just, well, as he was speaking, I was writing down a couple little nuggets that I was like, okay, these are the things that I want to dive deeper into. So the, one of the first things you talked about was, um, having to agree on everything and that just like not necessarily being an image of unity. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can deep, deeper dive into that and like how that could even look like for us as Christians. Yeah. Like what does it look like for us to disagree, but yet be unified? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the most helpful things, um, I think this is kind of, you know, CSF language, but there used to be a guy called Matt Dampier here <laughs> and he had this whole thing of like, um, like close handed and open handed beliefs. Yes. Uh, and so basically like your close handed beliefs are kind of your, 
uh, Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Um, just Jesus kind of. Jesus is the Son of God, mm-hmm. born of the Virgin Mary, stuff like that. There you go. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's kind of like these Orthodox beliefs that Christians have held through um, throughout time. Uh, and then there's kind of these open-handed beliefs that are some things that, you know, we have disagreements on. You know, I think we just wrestled with this um, early on in our curriculum with some of the predestination conversation. Yeah. Um, do, what, how do we place the dinosaurs? Yeah, sure. <laughs> with the creation narrative. <laughs> yeah, that's not one that I personally give a, t- a ton of time to, but, you know. <laughs> but that's an open-handed gospel. How you sure. fall on it, Yeah, there you go. That's an extreme and helpful example, yeah, for the <laughs> for the metaphor. Um, so I think it's, it's just saying... Um, you know, we're going to hold to these things uh, and believe that these things are true. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything else. And it doesn't even mean that we are all going to like live out the gospel in this cookie cutter fashion. Yeah. Um, because one of the beautiful things um, is that God expresses his grace through our diversity yeah. uh, and our diversity of gifts. So we actually see that God is glorified in just our unique personalities, right? Um I think if we were all the same, that wouldn't even give um, give credence to just like how uh, expansive God is and just all the different ways um, that he expresses himself through us. And so I think each of us carries um, this kind of, um, I don't know, this little bit, this little, um, you know, sliver of, of God's character and God's nature um, that we get to, to reveal to uh, all those around us. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is that we're all made with different, well, given different gifts. We all come from different experiences, different perspectives. And so those all are utilized for God's glory. And maybe like the gifts that I've been given are going to be used to glorify God in ways that other people wouldn't be able to. And I think sometimes even at CSF, we use this, we allow this to become like a comparison game. We're like, oh, well, this person has this gift yep. or this person has this gift, but I only have this gift. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like, I remember thinking that my gift of service was like the worst because it was just like a burden to me because I wanted these other gifts instead of just like rejoicing in the gifts that we have yeah, um, and letting those be like um, ways that we can like rejoice with one another in what we have been given and letting that be like what you're saying, like this offense of like being a testimony of evangelism to the world around us and being unified and supporting one another around us. Yeah. You know? And I think that's why it's so helpful. You know, I think that gifts is that word that we use, right? Like spiritual gifts is that word that we're, we're used to, but I love that in verse seven, um, what Paul says is that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And there's this reminder that God is the giver. And I think that even the, the Greek word here, Doria, I don't know if you know, if you can pronounce that better, but it's just that it's a, it's a gift that uh, highlights the generous desire of the giver. Yeah. So I think we're supposed to remember that we're not, I mean, we're by grace, you know, we've been saved. And so by grace, we've been given spiritual gifts. It's not that we have done anything of our own merit to receive them. So we really, like you're saying, we should rejoice in any gift because it's an expression of who God is that's been given to us Mm -hmm. to freely express. But it is just so true that there's this comparison game that we play in our culture. And the sad part about it is, you know, I think that honestly, one of the coolest things that you could do this week in group is to, you know, there's a spiritual gifts test out there that, um, I don't know, maybe we can link in the podcast or something like that in the description, but, um, 
you know, I think it'd be great for everyone to take that and, you know, for even us to encourage one another and to affirm one another and say like, Hey, here are your giftings. Because while it is really easy to be on like the, the prideful end of things and be like, Oh, this is my gift. It's also easy to like, not even know what your gifts are because we don't take the time to like speak them over one another. Um, but the only thing that makes me concerned is like, well, what if, you know, we all figure out what our gifts are and then we just boast in them. Um, and that's where I think that it's so important to look at, um, verse 12, like it says, you know, why are the gifts given is to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, it's not, a you know, for me to get up on stage and show off my gifts. Um, this isn't, you know, America's got talent. This is, you know, (laughs) to equip his people for, for works of service. And, um, there's just an ability of like, oh, I've been freely given this. Well, let me give this gift away. Mm -hmm. Um, and even, you know, I think one of the things that jumped out to me was like, man, how cool is it that even we've been given this, this gift by our creator and that we, so, and we can go back to him and say, Lord, why have you given me this, this ability? You know, why do I have the gift to, to teach or, um, why am I just a gifted listener? Um, you know, there's a whole, a whole slew of, of spiritual giftings, but I think it's, you know, you can even turn back to God and say, Lord, how am I to use this? You know, how have you mm-hmm. positioned me to be, to uniquely use my giftings to glorify you uh, and to build up your people? Yeah. It's rejoicing the giver, not the gift itself. Exactly. Um, and something else, especially going back to the close handed gospels and the open handed gospels you were talking about earlier, when we think about agreeing on everything, um, we also, I think it's important for us, especially when we are going o- over a, a book of the Bible, like Ephesians, like to really learn what it looks like as believers to peacefully disagree on doctrine yeah. that is non-essential to like the central message of faith and like these central doctrines. Yeah. Um, so like you brought up predestination that we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you disagree with someone in your group about that, like that's not a close handed gospel. And so how do you find peace with one another on that disagreement? That's a piece of this unity that Paul is talking about. Yeah. And I think that's, that's even where I think that verse two is so key. Verses two and three, I think are huge. Um, I mean, you could do a whole group on just those two verses where it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love in verse two. And when I think about that, I think about that word humility. I think about if you come into a conversation with somebody that you disagree with in humility, I think that's walking in and saying, this person may have something that they can, you know, share with me that, um, you know, that, that I haven't heard before. You know, and going in with that mentality of like, I have something to learn here, regardless, instead of going in with that mentality of like, you know, everything they say is baloney, like nothing that they say (laughs) is going to, like, I'm not going to learn anything new. And so if you go in with that posture of like, man, maybe I can learn something new here, um, instead of just being so closed minded, because I think that we do this thing where it's like, well, so-and-so is a Calvinist or (laughs) so-and-so is a Republican or Democrat. So like anything that they say is void and you know, I was even working with that on my guys when we did the, the predestination group is a lot of them, um, you know, I don't think any of them would like identify as Calvinists, but I was trying to be like, you know, I almost like found myself playing devil's advocate for Calvinism because I wanted them <laughs> to just like wrestle with, okay, how can we take something that we don't completely agree with, mm-hmm. um, but see the merits in it, yeah. to see the good, to see the things that we do agree on, um, yeah. which like for that, you know, context was just like a, you know, a high view of God and just like a reverent view of God and his sovereignty and uh, to acknowledge that because I think if you can find those bridges 
of, okay, hey, maybe we, we don't do, agree on this, but we agree on this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super helpful, and that's what build, br- builds bridges. But if you just focus on what you don't agree on, yeah. um, unity is going to be really difficult. Um, and, like, I don't think, I think Paul's acknowledging that, like, this isn't, you know, super easy stuff. Um, you know, it says to be patient and to bear with one another and make every effort. So there is going to be an effort in yeah. it. Um, it's not just like, oh, kumbaya, we have Jesus now. Like, it's going to be easy to get along. Yeah. But, um, you know, we have the spirit, right, to walk with yeah. us and, and help us in those moments where we feel that feel that rub. Um, but I think it is just really important to even surround yourself with people that, you know, don't just think and believe the same way you do. Yeah. Um, because then we just end up in an echo chamber. You know, I think that's <laughs> even one of the downfalls of like, you know, I think we see that a lot in, in church these days where we're kind of, you know, siphoned off by our, you know, political beliefs. And, you know, mm-hmm. we just go to church with people who, you know, act like us, think like us, live like us. And, um, you know, I think that's, I don't know, I think we're worse off for it. Because I think yeah. the more we're surrounded by people and a, a diversity of perspective, um, that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, just assimilate into what everyone else believes or what the culture believes. But I think um, it just allows us to be people who uh, are able to process and able to hold to what is true um, and even be able to engage with people who um, don't always line up with us eye to eye. Yeah. And you were talking about um, just like really putting in the effort of understanding, like, A lot of these issues, if both sides are like orthodox beliefs, then there is a reasonable reason why someone who has a different understanding than you has that understanding. And so if you oftentimes when I felt like anger or like frustration with the other side, it's because I didn't do enough research to see the validity in Mm. their point. Um, And so that's just like another encouragement as we seek to just be unified. It's like maybe I myself need to be a little bit more educated in the matter yeah. in the other person's perspective. No, that's good. And that, and that even brings me back to like the, the Calvinism <laughs> discussion, because like in our group, we looked up Tulip, you know, like the, the five yeah. points of Calvinism in front of us, because it was important to actually be like, wait, what do they believe? Instead of just being yeah. like, ah, no, that's like not even worth our time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's important to, to even know um, and be curious to other, like, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to completely agree with them. I think that um, we can have those conversations because we're we're unified by Christ, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. Another thing that you said earlier that I thought might be helpful for us to distinguish between is like, what does unity look like for the culture and what does biblical unity look like? And like, how are those similar? How are they different? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, man, I think that... I mean, cultural unity is like within, I don't know, there's not like a holistic view of unity, right? It's like unity within, you know, your particular political party, right? And even, (laughs) I don't know, I think one of the challenges is if you hold, if you're on either end of the spectrum, like, you know, either party is going to want you to take, you know, the whole laundry list of Mm -hmm. items, right? And so there's no, like, there's no middle ground. And so I think that uh, our culture even pushes us away from this, um, I don't know, being able to like live in the tension between the two and like um, take what's valuable from, from either side. I think we live in a very like um, like black and white culture in some ways yeah. um, where like I think the vision of Christian unity allows us to live in the tension a little bit more um, and to even like come with a kind of a posture of humility and just say like, you know, I don't fully know. You know, there's some of this stuff where it's like, you know, we're just 
finite humans and you know we may not know the the complete answers to some of these things you know until we're on the other side of eternity um but to be able to i don't know extend one another the grace um, to say that you're an image bearer of of christ and to to keep that at the forefront and to remember um just to to lead with you know to lead with humility gentleness patience to to bear with one another in love to say hey i'm even gonna love you as you process through this uh, and love you enough to have the conversation with you and, you know, ultimately they realize that we're all sinners in need of grace uh, and to not, I think that, you know, what, what Christianity and Christian unity makes room for that culture does not. And I think it's really easy just to, you know, to completely cancel someone, you know, for what they believe to completely disregard them. Uh, I think there's space for even, um, just the hatred and dismissal. And I think that Christian unity um, doesn't allow so much for that. I think it allows us to um, to bear with one another and to even have the opportunity to um, even correct one another, you know, when we, um, you know, cross that line from the, you know, the open-handed into the close-handed and to, I don't know, I think this stuff is best practiced in community. And the more we're able to um, work through these things together, the better. Because I think if we end up, kind of out on an island by ourselves, maybe we're not going to be in as good of a spot. Yeah. I mean, literally the person who wrote this letter was the guy who was holding the coats of men who were stoning other Christians. He was on his way to persecute more Christians and he came to faith and started proclaiming the gospel. Like that's the person who came to faith and is preaching unity and is accepted and welcomed into all of these Christian communities. Um, and so I think that itself is a huge, um, witness of unity, um, that is biblical. And also like, I think something that you were saying that we don't have to agree on every single point. Like there is just like that grace and that willingness to like, let go of the control that you have to agree on everything Yeah. to be unified. Yeah, you don't have to agree with me that LeBron's the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, that'd be great. But, you know, I can I can live with you if you think it's, you know, Michael Jordan, I, I guess. Was about to say, I was about to ask who would be the other options because I wouldn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar Shibwe is, is the actual is oh, the right I was answer, about to ask so. Stephen Curry. Is that just like a horrible thing for me to ask? Uh, no, we're recording this actually the day after the All-Star game. You hit like 15-some three-pointers last night, so... Oh. That'd actually be, I knew that. That's yeah. why I said it. No, Brian would probably be really <laughs> proud of us if we said that because he probably probably believes that. So oh, well. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so one last thing. Um, just thinking about what you were saying about unity as defense, like what does it look like for us to resist being formed by the world? Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think the, the most helpful, this was really helpful for me, even how I think about that, because I think that it's easy to think about that as an individual battle that's fought, you know, between you and how much you pick up your cell phone at night. I don't know. But where it talks about, you know, so we, we go back to verse 13, uh, talking about how, you know, we have these works uh, to equip one another um, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, and then we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so once we have kind of reached this place of unity where we're leaning into our spiritual giftings, um, we're serving one another, we're building one another up, only then does Paul say that we're no longer going to be tossed back and forth um, by the culture. And I think it's even, I, I like that that Paul uses the language of like cunning, cunning and crafty. Um, and just understanding that like, 
I don't know, the John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, was super helpful for me in this and understanding that like, um, the culture doesn't give us blatant lies. The culture gives us crafty lies that play to, you know, just some of our basic human desires and just our cultural norms. And so I think yeah. that we need community to call out the craftiness. Yeah. And right. It's crazy because the snake in the garden was described as crafty. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and, and when was it that, you know, that Eve was tempted? It was when she was on her own. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so we see that even from the garden of, um, you know, I mean, we know this, we talk about this all the time, right? Like isolation <laughs> is what, what leads us to fall. And so only when we're together, when we're unified, um, and I like that, that line of speaking the truth in love, um, only then will we come to be the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And so it's fixing ourselves on Christ. But the thing that I really landed on with that speaking truth in love is like, man, when we're practicing you know, speaking truth over one another, when we're practicing loving one another, when we know what that's like, um, then we're going to know what's not that, right? And so the more we're living in Christian community with one another, the more truth is spoken over us, and the more loved we we know that we are um, by the Father and by, um, you know, our now unified Christian family, um, the more we're going to be able to differentiate that from the lies that culture tells us. And so really I think that what a unified Christian culture even does is helps us to, um, you know, discern the close-handed and the open-handed and to know um, and just gives those red flags to pop up and like, oh, wait, this isn't right. This yeah. is a lie. Um, and to be able to um, work through some of the cunning and craftiness of the culture. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that makes so much sense. Dang. Landon, Landon, thank you so much. I'm excited for this week. I think this is a good, like, middle point for the semester. Yeah. Um, and we're um, really excited for you guys to just go on and have a great group this week. Yep. See you next week for more Ephesians 4. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back here. See ya. Later, guys. Later, guys.